Brandon Brands. My name is Neil Schaefer, and if you want to up your game, digital media marketing, social media marketing, and branding, you need to listen to Brandon Bergmeier's Brands on Brands on Brands. My name is Neil Schaefer, and I officially approve of this message. In a world where advertising is ignored, business is exposed, and the only constant is change, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands, a home for those who think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here's your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey everyone, welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, your personal marketing coach. And I believe that building brands that matter is the only way for a business to thrive tomorrow. Today, today we're diving deep on social media and influencer marketing specifically with a true thought leader in marketing. His name is Neil Schaefer. If you haven't heard of Neil, he's a Forbes top 50 social media power influencer two years in a row a Forbes top five social sales influencer and creator of the leading social media for business blog called Maximize Social Business. Neil's a global social media speaker, and he also teaches as part of the Rutgers University Business School mini social media MBA program. He's an author, best known for his book, Maximize Your Social, a one-stop guide to building a social media strategy for marketing and business success but has also published two other award-winning and critically acclaimed social media books, Maximize LinkedIn for Sales and Social Media Marketing, and Windmill Networking, Maximizing LinkedIn. And on top of all that, he's currently writing a book on influencer marketing, which we'll talk about today on the show. But needless to say, guys, this is one you're going to want to listen to more than a few times on repeat. Enjoy. Brandon All right, let's get started. Thanks so much to our guest today, Neil Schaefer, for jumping on the show. Really excited to have you and would love to jump right into it. I do have kind of my first question, but to give some context to the audience, uh, I've been aware of of you as an author on marketing topics for a pretty long time uh, and more generally as a recognized leader in our business, but you also are a, a global keynote speaker, a university educator, social media agency owner of a company called PDCA Social and a consultant. So you're doing a lot of things in our space. And as digital marketing and social media grew up, you've been around, you've been there, you've been there to see this all happen. Can you remember when this kind of interest, this curiosity for marketing started to take off for you? Well, you know, my interest in marketing took off really before the advent of social media. It actually came from traditional media where my career before social was representing technology brands in Asia. So some of you might know that I, uh, I speak Japanese. I also speak Chinese. And beginning with helping a Japanese semiconductor manufacturer gain new business in China, launch a sales operation. And I realized that it came down to a story. that This company had no branding from the Chinese characters that we decided to represent our name in China to our employees who were outward facing to Whenever I met, why is this Japanese semiconductor company, you have Chinese employees, you have an American representing them, and there's no Japanese to be seen. Why should we purchase 
product from you. And this is in the day where all you had was basically a hard catalog and maybe you were, you were at a few trade shows. So it came down to, you know, one-on-one interactions, obviously getting interactions with important decision makers, but then the one-on-one that said, you know, we're really here to help strengthen China, to help uh, strengthen your company so that you can move to an export ready, high quality company. It was really coming up with branded stories that resonated with our clients, but also that made sense internally that were often off the complete agenda from what our corporate marketing was talking about, which just was not aligned with what we were seeing in the market, especially in China. So it's something that I did for them. I did for a American software company launching their Western Japanese sales office. And I did for Canadian startup, becoming their regional VP of Asia sales and helping them throughout Asia. So that's where I really started to get interested in marketing and in storytelling and in positioning of a brand and how it is represented with every interaction with a company. So that all was just a natural lead into what, what happened after I got involved in social media professionally, starting in 2008, launching a blog, and then 2009, writing my first book, and then January 2010, launching my company. So I like to add value. I like to help people. That's sort of my core DNA. So I do a variety of things because there's various ways of monetizing the IP that we all have. And when the opportunity arises and I feel really good about it, I think I can add value. I think I can contribute to society. And I genuinely want to work together with the people at the company. I'll take that opportunity, right? And that's led me to do uh, many things. But the beautiful thing is they all, you know, the professional background, obviously, before social media and before digital media, combined with what I see. And, and, you know, my business experience in Asia really gave me a very, very, very holistic perspective on business in general. So it's allowed me to provide, you know, a refreshing perspective, you know, whether it's through my blog and and books or whether it's with my clients or speaking, that's allowed me to... uh, you know, I'm not going to say pivot, but obviously the market has changed over the past decade and to understand where my clients need to be and where I think other people need to be and really promote those areas and, and how people do not get left behind and businesses do not get left behind as we continue to evolve going forward. Right. And, well, and I had, you know, I read your book when, when that came out. I mean, what year was that that maximized your social? Case? 2013, believe it or not. Right. <laughs> so, you know, back when that was just starting to take off and you're, I understand you have a, a new book coming out that is covering the topic of influencer marketing, obviously a, a hot topic these days. And that's going to be called The Business of Influence, unless it changes. It has changed. The official new title is The Age of Influence, uh, scheduled to be published February 2020 from HarperCollins. So we do have a date on that one. That's awesome. We finally have a date, yes. So where do you find inspiration for these topics you're choosing to like dive deep on? Is it a personal passion or like where does it come from? Well, you know, it's similar to when I speak to clients or when I speak and, and Brandon, I think you'll appreciate this. You know, where do you go for to look for content or to look for business ideas? You go back to your customers. You look at what people are talking about. What do people ask you questions about? So, you know, my first two books on LinkedIn that were published in 2009 and 2011 were more based... I mean, my first book was really based on questions that I got over LinkedIn connection requests and inside LinkedIn groups and and blog questions. But it was really sort of my own agenda. I want to write a book. I believe I'm a subject matter expert on LinkedIn and LinkedIn marketing and LinkedIn for sales. So I write these two books. Maximize Your Social is very different in that as I began speaking more, consulting more, I thought the number one question I was getting asked was, Neil, how do you develop a social media strategy? How do you measure social media ROI? 
And that's really what drove that book, right? It's all about the client. So, you know, Brandon, it's like you, hey, Neil, anything you want to talk about on the podcast, I want to talk about what's important to your audience, not what's important to me, right? It's a customer-centric approach that I've always had to sales and marketing that I have to my content and, 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 you know, and speaking. So don't ask me what I want to talk about. It's all about what your customers want to hear or your audience wants to hear. So that's basically what happened with Maximize Your Social. And as time went on, you know, 2013, 14, the number one question I started getting asked then, now that people figured out the ROI and, and the strategy part was the tools part, the technology part, as technology evolved. So actually, with a partner, co-launched an event called the Social Tools Summit, which I did in 2015 and 2016. And that was a way of, I didn't write a book about it, but it was a way of sort of monetizing that IP I had, but also delivering a product to an audience that was hungry for that knowledge. So fast forward the last two years where the number one question I get asked when I speak, and it was really when I, I spoke to a, a USC MBA class, a marketing class actually, and I was expecting to get asked about you know, strategy and ROI and tools. The number one question I got asked, and these were you know, late 20s, early 30s, was not just about influencer marketing, but about how do I too become an influencer? I have friends that are YouTubers or they're, they're on Instagram getting a few hundred dollars per photo. You know, how do I get in on the action? So, and I think if you talk to kids these days, you know, becoming a YouTuber is sort of, it was like the dot-com dream when, you know, when I was younger. So you know, we, we, we've come quite far on our journey and we continue to, to, to go. And I believe as I delved deeper and as I began getting more and more questions about influencer marketing, I began to just see the huge potential and the huge meaning it has when you put it in perspective with everything else we see going on in digital and social media. So I, I felt that there's a story to be told and there is a gap, a delta between where marketers need to be and where they are now in terms of their education and implementation. And I thought that was the next big opportunity for marketers. And therefore, I, you know, I invested the time into doing the research and doing the interviews, but also created my own sort of insight and perspective. And that's really what's been rolled up into the book. And uh, this book is unique as well in that I did sort of a crowdsourcing or crowdfunding before I even wrote the book saying, hey, if you think this is interesting, you know, please fund this. And it was really the success of that funding that proved that indeed there is a need for this book and there is an audience. That's the story of the age of influence. So I know the book's not out yet, but are there a couple of topics in the book that have stood out to you as things that, that you really want people to take away that are already starting to percolate? Yeah. And, you know, I've already obviously began talking, you know, I spoke for two years in a row at Social Media Marketing World on influencer marketing. So a lot of the ideas are already out there. I think the most important thing is, you know, if you have a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand, a million to invest in marketing, where are you going to invest that money today? What makes the most sense? And this is going to be different year in, year out as we progress forward. But everybody is putting more and more money, obviously. I mean, digital is not going away, but people are putting more and more money into the social inside digital, as I like to call it. But if you think about social media marketing, right, you have organic, you have paid, and the organic is, is really becoming pay to play. And I think that anyone and everyone will tell you that that's the case. We're not agonizing over every Facebook algorithm change. I mean, the writing's on the wall. And I know that we're doing well on Instagram so far, but that's going to change as well because look who the parent company is, it's Facebook. So when organic social media becomes pay to play and the paid social, everyone is doing it. It, it, it. It's harder and harder to find efficient ROI in paid social. It's still there obviously for a lot of companies, but when social media marketing becomes paid advertising, 
what discriminates a Facebook ad campaign from a Google ad campaign? It's the technology. It's the targeting options, right? I guess what I'm saying is it's not social media anymore, is it? There's nothing social about it. I mean, yeah, people can engage with it, but outside of that, it's become another paid media. So, you know, when we began 10 years ago with organic social media and we loved the engagement we got on our Facebook pages and we were trying to push as much traffic to Facebook as possible, it wasn't that long ago, right? The promise of social media marketing for businesses was viral word of mouth marketing, right? That somehow a fan would see it, they'd like engage, and then friends of fans would see it and it would spark this sort of virality inside social media. That obviously still happens, but it's very rare these days because of the algorithm. So, you know, I believe that influencer marketing, inciting people or leveraging people to incite that word of mouth conversation that was the promise of organic social media marketing is really the closest thing we have today. So part of, you know, when I, when I speak about influence marketing or when I speak in general is really just resetting where the opportunities are in the market right now. And I want to make sure that everyone's crystal clear on that, that it is a, it is a compelling medium for many reasons. Now, a lot of companies get burned or a lot of people have bad mindsets about it. Just like five years ago, where's the ROI in social? I don't see, you know, it's the same thing. Why should I give someone $100 to post something that they're just getting fake likes on? So there's always a bit of skepticism. And I think a lot of that comes down to inexperience miseducation and working with the wrong people to begin with, or maybe having the wrong objectives. Similar to like, you know, early on in Facebook, brands would have these iPad giveaways, right? So they got a lot of fans, but there was no ROI from their fans because they just liked the page to get the iPad. And then what happens? They never engage with the page. They never see their content in the newsfeed. And boom, you've just, you know, you've wasted a lot of money. So just as companies have gotten a lot smarter since then, I think they'll get a lot smarter working with influencers and, and they'll see them as, as an extension of their brand, as a group of people that they can actually collaborate with. And that was another message that I brought to social media marketing world this year is that, you know, social media should be as much about collaboration as it is about marketing. And that's where really the influencers fit in. So that's really the mindset that I think once you buy into you begin to get really, really excited about the topic and you see it less as like, oh, we're coming out with a new product. We need to launch an influencer campaign to more of a long-term, we gain tremendous ROI with long-term relationships with influencers that can benefit our brands and our businesses in many ways. That's sort of a, you know, a, a huge message, I think. You know, once marketers understand that and they get realigned, it just gets a lot easier doing everything beyond that. But it really begins with that understanding. Yeah, well, and I can imagine that the idea of an influencer isn't new, right? I mean, that's been around for a long time since celebrity endorsements and, and long before that. Just anything you would need to get credibility or reputation and you had to attach to someone that had it. Like we have this doctor or 10 dentists say that this is the, the right thing for you or whatever the thing is, we've already ha had to establish credibility. But when social comes up and it starts to change the conversation to say that anyone can be an influencer, that's where it gets a little bit confusing. So I imagine a few questions that tend to come up are, you know, especially if they're, they're new to this, are things like, you know, what's you know, the, the pricing structure that, you know, because it's all over the board, depending on who you're using, or the management of the creative process itself, you know, what's the brand say in, in the process versus what the influencers creating and their, their arts. Those two components seem to be, I think, still like a negotiation. Yeah. Hey, and here's a great analogy for you. Do you watch Game of Thrones? All the time. Okay. So you're, I, 
my bandwidth ran out last. I'm still watching episode three and my bandwidth runs out in the middle of the war. Anyway, I'll watch the remaining tonight and then watch episode four, which just timed our podcast. My apologies. But when Jon Snow rides a dragon for the first time, how do you ride a dragon? You ride one. No, nobody can teach you, right? And I think, well, how much should Facebook ads be? Well, you start to advertise and you see, right? You, you actually get data and, and you go from there. So the name of my agency is called PDCA Social. And because this concept of PDCA, which I brought about in Maximize Your Social, plan, do, check, action, you're not going to get anywhere without experimenting, right? So yes, you're, you're not going to know the true market value of working with influencers until you have data, until you work with a number of influencers. And, and you're not going to know their price until you actually contact them. And you're not going to be able to weigh what is a good price or not until you actually work with a number of influencers with different followers, different engagement count, different niches, and different track records. And then you begin to get an understanding. This is what makes influencer marketing agencies very powerful in that they already have that track record. They already have the data, the historical data that brands, if you're not doing it yourself, you just don't know. So there's going to be a test process. It's going to be, you know, some successes, some failures, but you you just need to go out there and start doing it. But you also need to understand, you know, if I'm going to hire a content creator to make, to create content for me, how much is that going to cost? And that's a really, really good starting point, right? If I can do a paid Instagram ad, or a paid you know, Twitter ad and get a certain number of clicks or impressions, if I spend the same amount of money with an influencer, am I going to get something similar to that is, is another good starting point. So I know that marketers want everything on a silver plate and just do this, you know, input A and you get B. It just doesn't work that way, right? Uh, and it's going to be different for every company, every industry, every influencer. But I do believe once you reach out and begin talking and saying, hey, how do you work with brands? Because there are so many more influencers working with so many brands today that there's a lot of processes in place that you can learn a lot from with working with influencers directly. Well, and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs out there would probably think that this isn't, this might not be on their radar necessarily because you know, they're in a space where they might still be figuring out like, let me get my website refreshed. Let me get my email working and my, you know, I'm still figuring out social media. But I would imagine that even for the entrepreneurs that influencers could make an impact on their business, depending on the type of business they're in. Are there some core lessons that they can implement in their businesses right now? Every industry can use influencers. And it's funny, I was speaking in Japan recently. It was actually a government-funded project to help companies basically export outside of Japan. And these are companies that don't even really use social media marketing. And when I presented an influencer marketing, they got it, right? And these are mainly, there were a lot of entrepreneurs in the room. They got it because when they thought, well, how did my business get to be where it is right now in Japan? they realized it was, it was word of mouth. Someone told someone and they told someone. So they see influencers as the way to incite that word of mouth at scale. And immediately it, it just made sense. So if I'm an entrepreneur and I want to get the word out about my company, you're either going to be doing advertising and spending a lot of money, or you're going to try the social approach of, of you know, inevitably you're, you're going to need to try every approach, but you, know, you need to have a digital infrastructure and part of those assets obviously include content, include a minimal presence in social, what have you, but influencers obviously can incite that word of mouth. 
they can be obviously used as part of the content as, as Brandon and many other uh, podcast producers do with podcasts or with guest blog posts, right? So there's a way to work them into the content, which is powerful, but there's also a way obviously to work them into your advertising, your events, your promotion, whatever you end up doing. So yeah, they are a fundamental component. I will not work with a client unless there's a paid social component. They have a budget for that. I won't work with them unless they have an influencer component as well. I think it's become that essential to really get heard and cut through the noise today. Well, and I think it's, it's about creativity, right? There's, if you're a business and you're thinking, you know, how does this work for me? You might have to get a little creative about the type of people you work with that would benefit your business, you know, to get that word of mouth or just, you know, if that's not, for example, let's say you're an accountant and you're like, how can I use an influencer in my company? Like, maybe this doesn't make sense for me. I think you might actually tweak your thinking a little bit to say, how would it make sense? Like, how could I bring more value to my clients through some type of relationship? Maybe it's an education from someone that you didn't think, you know, wasn't related to accounting, but maybe they also want some lawyer advice or some marketing advice. And you bring someone in to create content for you and you give that to your clients as value. I think there's other ways you have to be creative about how you use these tools that are out there. Yeah. And it's funny. One of my clients is a large insurance company and I train their salespeople on social selling. These are people that are not very experienced in social media. Well, some of them are more experienced than others, but in general, they're, you know, they're more beginner slash intermediate, yet they were talking about centers of influence. I'm like, well, you guys already do an influence marketing? They go, no. In our community, if we want to sell insurance, there are centers of influence. And these are the accountants, the financial advisors, the bankers, what have you, that can provide us access to potential clients. So even if you're an accountant, there's still the concept that where do you get leads? Where do you get business? Those are influencers. Now, not all of them are on social media. And you know, if you don't need to be on social media and you can get business outside of it through traditional means, that's awesome. But for most companies, they want to get more business, more leads. So which of these you know, centers of influence have influence online? And if there are none in your community, where might they be in neighboring communities or neighboring cities or neighboring counties or neighboring states? Where can we you know, bring these people in and find a collaborative relationship? That's why it, you, know, you correctly state you know, the concept of influence goes back centuries. And obviously, the first chapter of my book is going to be looking at the history of influence. But it, it really is sort of ancient. And I remember growing up, was it, was it a shampoo commercial where, you know, and she told her friend and she told a friend and so on. And they show like more and more, you know, pictures showing up on the TV screen. It's just, you know, word of mouth and influence are, are two things that have been around. And once you, once you figure out the, the potential online, you begin to see, like I said, regardless of industry, and I've talked to almost every industry I can think of. Uh, and I, I can't think of one that does not have a role for influencers. And, and Brandon, as you said, it's really take a step back where might it fit in? And in fact, with a social media strategy as well, what are your business objectives? Where does social fit in? Where does digital fit in? Where might influencers fit in? And there's bound to be somewhere, right, where you can leverage influence. Is that a minimum? At a minimum, I would expect an accountant, in order to get leads, might do a speaking event or might have a casual thing where he brings people into or she brings people into their office. Here are the updates for, you know, the, the tax season. Well, why can't you bring in someone from the community that is, you know, is, is providing a solution to a business problem that probably a lot of your clients have? And in doing so, you're probably, hopefully that person's going to promote it to their own audience. But at a minimum, you're hopefully going to bring in new people, assuming you promote this event to your event. And they're probably going to actually trust you more and thank you more because you brought in someone of value to give them information that they knew they needed or maybe they didn't know they need. So it's just compelling on a lot of different fronts once you get to think about it. 
Yeah, no, exactly. I love that idea of the the top referrer that you were talking about, basically, because like I get asked all the time, like, do you know a good web designer? Do you know someone that does graphic design? Yeah. And or it turns into, do you have an accountant? Do you have a lawyer? Like if you're running a business, you might have these kinds of people. So it's I think those connections are important. And it just I think it changes the way we think about influencers as not just the guy who's, you know, the top of like the top of the food chain that has a billion subscribers. It's filming funny YouTube videos. There's a lots of levels of different types of of influence out there. I do want to ask though, and I'll give an example to give you time to think about it if you need it. The uh, If you have any examples of like people that are doing it right, like brands that have been, that have used influencer marketing in a way that just makes sense. It really hits on all, on all cylinders. And I'll, while you think about that, when I was working on Jack in the Box, we, you know, gaming was a good affiliated like space for us, you know, playing video games and eating jack-in-the-box food was, it goes hand in hand a lot of the time. So, you know, we had worked out a, a partnership with Twitch, which was one of the up and coming like video streaming services for gamers and partnered with one of the lead gaming creators to talk about jack-in-the-box and that was in their studio. They're, you know, they're enjoying the food. They're talking about gaming and it just, it was a, a good collaboration, just the right people, the right product that work together very naturally. Do you, have you come across any examples in your research or just in your life that you're like, this is, it happening in the right way. Yeah. I mean, there's literally dozens of case studies in the book. So there's, you know, it, it comes down to that natural alignment in some cases, making people part of the product. I think that the ultimate is not just, Hey, help us promote, but listen to feedback from influencers to, in some cases, create new product. So, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk K-Swiss is one great example, right? I mean, K-Swiss it might be relevant to some, to many, they've lost out. But by working together with Gary Vee and creating a product that Gary Vee can say, hey, this is my product, it creates an entirely new paradigm. And in fact, one of the stats I'd like to share is in China, where I believe China, Southeast Asia, I think influencer marketing is the most advanced in the world right now. Five of the 10 top online fashion brands on Taobao, which is sort of like the Amazon of China, are brands that were launched by influencers. So you know, when you think about product and service, you know, you put a name on it, Dan Elway's, you know, auto dealerships, right? There's a lot of ways in which you can interface. And I think that that's the ultimate. I think that's a great, a great example of actually working together with influencers for a product. There's, there's other examples. I mean, events are really, really powerful. Uh, I took part in Adobe Summit. I think it was 2017. It's another case study in the book where the number of impressions that the top six influencers like myself got just by sharing information was equivalent to like millions of dollars of ad spend. But we have to remember when we compare that to ad spend, they're not ads, they're coming from people sharing their own perspectives to their own trusted audience. So you could argue it has a, you know, a greater ROI. There's a lot of different, obviously the, the consumer facing brands, I think it's a lot easier to, to speak of these things, but it, it's really when I believe brands tap into the creative power of influencers. They let influencers, you know, for lack of a better word, do their own thing because they know their audience's best and they let them be creative, but also allowing them to give feedback to the brand as to, you know, maybe we should do this or maybe we should do that. I think that's really where the magic starts. It's an interesting question. I always get asked, hey, Neil, what are the specific examples? And there's just so many out there. It's hard for me to pick one in all honesty. But, you know, I, I think that for a lot of companies, they're still not at the stage where they can leverage that. They're still at the 
well, how much budget do we need? How do we work with influencers? Which influencers should we work with? I, I still think there's a tremendous amount of businesses that are at that level. The ones that are looking for how do we up our influencer marketing game are, are definitely in the minority across, you know, across entire industries when we look at it. So that, that, you know, that's usually how I respond. But what works for one company, I mean, every company has a different culture, different product, different target audience, and every influencer is different as well, which is, which is why it becomes such an interesting and exciting creative medium. Yeah, I mean, I love the Gary Vaynerchuk example for sure. The especially that when shoes have been in the like sports arena for so long, you know, sports and music, and those were the people you'd associate with promoting shoes. And then you take an entrepreneur, which is now becoming like a a hot thing to do, uh, and you you take one of the one that's most vocal out there and give him, you know, free reign to talk about a product. Uh, you know, I think it was it definitely a different road that you wouldn't expect. And I think that's what you got to do. You got to figure out what are the ways to do this because it is new. We are writing the book that we are writing that you're literally writing the book you know, as we are, are in the in the middle of experiencing it and, and testing the waters yeah there was a british fashion brand i'm trying to remember I, I i had a lot of case studies that didn't make the book that i planned to publish this blog post but there was one where they used influencers to create new fashion designs and they actually had them publish content as they were creating these designs and as they were getting feedback from their audience as influencers which obviously everything they were doing was to promote this brand, but in a very creative, authentic, and you know, user-generated, uh, content-ish way. So there's, you know, it, it, it's really about breaking down the barrier. I think that before digital and social brands invested a lot in creating brands that separated themselves from the audience. We are the brand, the audience is here. And I think now it's about really breaking down those barriers and making the audience as part of your brand. And it, it's, it's a pretty revolutionary thing when you think about it. But I think the more, the more people understand that and actually do that and utilize influencers as a way to help them do that, th- there's obviously a lot of uh, exciting, you know, cultural shifting things that happen. Well, I know I love that because the, the idea, a lot of the idea that I try to convey in this podcast or that I try to bring out and, and understand is it seems like this idea of the one-to-one, the really being consumer focused is where advertising is right now or where it's you know continuing to head that you you have to be really more connected with how you communicate and how you are having a relationship with your customers but with that it's like what is you know we have mass communication we have spamming and interruption is there a better way to connect with customers whether it's through influencers or something else that keeps us out of that area of of being something that's more of an interruption and something less desirable to a customer versus something that is useful and beneficial. Yeah, this is something I've really pondered about. And um, I didn't go, there were a lot of slides I deleted from my deck at Social Media Marketing World. I didn't want to be too provocative, but is social media a place where marketers should be active is really the big question. Social media, and I, I talk about this to Maximize Your Social, and I still talk about it today. You know, it's the convergence of information and communication. So social started out purely as a communication medium. And then it began a place where we go to for information. And then we got to see a lot of ads and we got fake news, what have you. And now people are saying, you know what? I just want to make it personal again. I don't want all this stuff. So you see the huge growth in WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. And in Asia, we have similar apps. And even Facebook is trying to add more private. Hey, here's a way to create a private group. Or on Instagram, hey, if you just want to share this with your private friends, this is what you do. So we want to like control our communication, become more private. And therefore, you know, is there a role for companies in social media? And it, it, it's sort of a rhetorical question that I ask brands today because we're already seeing, it was really Lush UK, and this just happened a few weeks ago, they'd made the announcement that they're just going to stop doing organic social media marketing. They're going to let their fans 
do the talking for them, right? And and this is really influencer marketing taken to the highest degree. And I, you know, I don't know how many brands are going to follow suit on that, but you know, is there a role for companies in social? Yes. Is it a marketing role? I don't know. Is it part of customer experience? Absolutely. You should be ready to be together with your customers on their journey and you should be available should they have questions, should they have complaints. So as far as sort of a customer experience marketing medium or customer support channel, I say absolutely. Is it a way to advertise and promote? I sort of question it because there's a way to do it in a very savvy way that you see savvy social media marketers do it. But a lot of brands, I mean, the content still looks like blatant advertisement. And it, it gets back to your point, Brandon. I mean, I, I agree. I, I don't think that's the place. And I think that just as people tune out of TV ads, people tune out of organic social media ads pretty quickly. They tune out of self-promotion, what have you. And the younger generations tune out even quicker than we do. So I think that that is happening. You know, one interesting fact that I heard, one interesting data point, I won't say fact because I have no way of confirming this. So I attended content marketing conference recently and Dennis Yu, who's a, a great guy, he's a South Bay native as well, by the way. He went to the same high school I did. Obviously, he talks a lot about Facebook advertising and he, you know, he just came back from Facebook headquarters and, and he goes, you know, the, the problem is not that organic reach is dying. Organic reach is alive and thriving. The problem is the way the algorithm works now is it's not about the positive feedback you get. It's not about the likes and comments and shares. It's about the negative feedback. And every one negative feedback you get will set you back like, you know, 100 points in the algorithm or some, some you know, amazing number. So as more and more people see your content as advertising, you're bound to get more of that negative feedback, which is going to hurt you. And in some ways, Facebook is correct in doing that. If you want to keep organic, organic and paid, paid, you sort of need to have that quality control measure. And I, you know, it's, it, you know, is Facebook pay to play or are marketers trying to advertise in social media? You could say that either one is correct. So I, I think, you know, when I spoke at social media marketing, when I say this a lot recently, because I started doing this in 2008. So we're in our second decade now, but a lot of marketers are still using the same old tactics and techniques they've been using for a decade. It's time to change, right? It's, it's time to do a reset. And that's where, you know, once again, influencers comes up as really powerful, but I think a creative, really fun, right? And collaborative way of getting our message out there. Yes, we're going to have to measure differently. We lose control. But I think at the end of the day, in, in tomorrow's world of digital and social, you need to lose a little bit of, give up a little bit of control, put trust in your advocates in order to gain more. And I think more and more brands are going to you know, open up to that. You know, we will have some quick hitter questions here, but before we get into that and start to head towards the wrap up of the show, I do want to ask, you know, this is, the show is called Brands on Brands on Brands. I want to ask you, I'm curious what your take is on this. Do you believe that branding or selling is more important long-term to a business and why? Branding or selling, I see those two completely different things, but at the end of the day, Yes, branding is critical because how are you going to represent your company, your products and services out there in the market? How are you going to differentiate yourself? How are you going to let people know your strengths? Branding is eternal. It's part of your infrastructure as a company. So branding, important. Obviously, you still need to sell. And as good as a brand you might have, it's not going to sell itself unless you get the word out about your brand. And in certain situations, from a sales perspective, having background there, there are adjustments that you're going to need to make as you start to engage more with customers or with distributors or, or buyers, what have you. So they're obviously both essential. And as I like to say, it's about new tools, old rules, and you know, social complements everything and replaces nothing. So it's all still necessary. And you know, 
having, no matter what people talk about your brand and social, having a concise and unified branding is still as, I believe, as critical now as it has, it's ever been. That's just human psychology, right? Right. Oh, I appreciate that and, and the perspective there. Now, some quick questions for you. What brands are you personally obsessed with right now? Ooh, well, I just got a new Volkswagen. So I, I like Volkswagen a lot right now. <laughs> um, I chose them among other manufacturers. I am a big user of Origins uh, skincare items. I went from Clinton to Origins, and I like what that brand represents in terms of the materials they use and, and their stance on the environment, what have you. You know, those are, when I think about brands that I have an obsession with right now, those are some of, those are the only two that come to mind. Ask me tomorrow, I may have some others, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all I got for you today. That's perfect. Well, and to, to spin it a little bit, what brands do you trust? You know, I trust Amazon. I know that might be hard for some people to, to think. Um, I moved into a new community here in Irvine about two years ago, and we were having this issue where our deliveries were not coming to our house. It wasn't on Google Maps yet. In fact, we had like a refrigerator repairman refuse to come to our house because it wasn't on Google Maps, right? Uh, even though they built the house and people came to put refrigerators in the house. But so we had all these issues and I went through, you know, there actually is a phone number you can get hold of Amazon customer support. And at the end of the day, it was actually someone on, on Facebook said, Neil, just send the CEO an email. Yeah. Mr. Bezos actually reads emails and I doubt he does personally, but I sent an email and within 24 hours, I got a response. And the day later, someone knocked on my door. It was actually someone from Amazon in charge of the logistics in Southern California explaining what happened. And, you know, it was all going to a different number on a different street that was nearby that was neighboring the street. And can we offer you some, you know, keep everything. We're going to send you replacements. We're not going to bill you. We'll give you some extra money. You know, it was their, their approach that if there's something wrong, we're going to write it. Right. And, you know, I, I, I'm a subscribe and save customer. I'm a prime customer. I even purchased HBO for Game of Thrones through Amazon Prime. I have full trust in them. And, you know, on the flip side, I have worked with a home warranty insurance company before. And, you know, they get you to get on the monthly renewal. And that's like, we're, we're going to automatically renew your plan for next year. You don't have to do anything. But if you want to cancel the automatic renewal, the only way to do it is through phone calling them. And to me, that's a red flag. I lose trust in companies when I cannot do everything self-service on the internet. And with my subscribe and saves or whatever it is with Amazon, I, I feel like I'm in complete control. And giving the consumer control to me is a way of building trust with them, especially as we become more digitally savvy. So yeah, believe it or not, I have high trust in Amazon. No, I believe you. It's, it's, I mean, it's something I feel like it's part of my everyday life now. I definitely love me some Amazon. And like, you know, a decade ago with Apple, when we iPhone 3, 4, 5, Apple these days, you know, I, I still trust them, but not to the extent that I trust Amazon. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I trust that, that I can actually get packages on time, sometimes more quickly than I can get to a store. So that's it. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I'm also obsessed with these little pop sockets for the phone. Uh, now, you see, I, I like, I love the concept, but well, okay. One reason I like the Volkswagen is they were one of the uh, first cars that actually supported Apple Play or, or CarPlay. Yeah. So now that I have that, I don't need to see my phone while I'm driving because they have this huge navigation screen. But before that, I had to have these little holders that you put in a CD socket in That's order to see my it. phone. And when you have that thing on the back of your phone, it won't fit in it. It's too deep. Right. And when I break, it like comes out. So right. that's why I don't have that. <laughs> well, it's funny. I found the specific holder just for pop sockets. I, I pop it. I just slide it on. Oh. Rip. So there's, yeah, just, it, the convenience of having somewhere to put your phone. Yeah. 
I have the Apple Connect now in the new phones, but the I still don't like the interactivity as much as just having the phone there sometimes. It's just- I hear you. It's like, it's almost there, but it's not quite fully figured out in terms of the UX. When they show us our Gmails, then it'll all be a lot happier. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> well, I, I definitely appreciate the time today. I'd love to know if people want to, if people want to find you, Hey, where is your, what's your website? And then where are you active in, on social? So it's so funny because we were talking about branding and, and when I started my, my career as an entrepreneur, you know, I need to build something bigger than me. And that was sort of the concept. I built this brand called Windmill Networking. And then with the advent of having a lot of guest bloggers, I sort of branched off into Maximize Social Business, a media site. And then when I came out with Maximize Your Social, well, I'm just going to move Windmill Networking to Maximize Your Social. And over time, I've realized that the best brand, if you're an individual, this is not for businesses per se, is me, right? So I completely rebranded my digital presence. I even moved all the websites. It's just, it's Neil Schaefer. And even on Snapchat, you'll find a Neil Schaefer account, no matter where you go. It's all spelled the same. It's don't spell it like the Starbucks baristas. You don't spell Neil N-I-E-L. You spell it N-E-A-L. And my cousin is, is well-known in marketing as well. Mark Schaefer, we're not actually blood relatives, but we joke about it. But I spell my last name the right way. His is incorrect. So it's S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. So neilschaefer.com on Amazon, on SlideShare, on Snapchat, on YouTube, uh, you know, wherever there's social. I probably even have a MySpace account still. I haven't posted to it in a while. But anyway, I'm there. So uh, that's where you can find me. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll put the spelling in the show notes for everyone. And so they don't confuse you with your cousin who has been on the show. Love him as well. Great guy. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for coming out today. And uh, I I hope to have you back sometime. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate you reaching out. And uh, yeah, I I encourage people whenever I'm on podcasts or I speak this, hopefully this is the beginning of a, of a long-term conversation. So if you have any questions after this, just want to reach out for some advice, feel free to hit me up. Thank you. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to not just help you build a business, but build a brand. Head over to brandandbrands.com for more resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit brandandbrands.com.